welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. There really is no book that better describes the human condition in the Bible. Uh, the Bible is so comprehensive in, in, in explanation uh, to the most important mysteries of life. And in fact, when we're done this, this series on Ephesians, I'm looking forward to, we're going to spend some, some time in those first few chapters of the book of Genesis for that very reason, to try to understand what our origin story is. Because, uh, I mean, if you think about it, you look in that book of Genesis and we, we discover who God is and who we are and, and, and why the world is the way that it is and, and ultimately what God's answer is. And, and that's just the first four chapters of that book. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But, but it's why we, we study our Father's Word, because it so clearly speaks to life today. It, see, too often I think what we do is, is we try to understand life based on our circumstances, based on our experiences, and we allow our experiences to define what truth is. When, when the reality is what we need to do is we need to allow Father's Word to explain our circumstances, to explain what's going on, to explain our experiences. And, and that's why God's Word is such a gift to you and I. That, you know, first he shared through his, his prophets and now he's sharing through his apostles and, and we get to understand our struggles. We get to understand how we find victory. And, and so it's our job then to try to understand in God's word to, to see our life in under those that um, that viewpoint, that vantage point. And, and when we do, then we discover the hope and the freedom and the victory that comes from how Jesus is to be our champion. And it's why we're spending so much time studying our enemies that we spent, you know, that that one week, a couple weeks ago, looking at at Satan and the demonic and trying to understand really what that means and how it attacks and even where they came from. Um, and then last week we looked at we looked at the world and we started to understand how how the world tries to influence us, how it tries to draw us away so that it could be a replacement to distract us from Jesus, but to be a God unto, to, to us. Uh, a bad God at that, but that's what it's trying to be. It's trying to be a God to us. Well, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the third of this unholy trinity, and, and it's the flesh. And, and it's probably the enemy that you and I are going to have the most consistent battles with. And, and so we're going to be trying to kind of pull back the curtain on it or shine the, the spotlight on the flesh so that we can recognize it and see really the devastation and the impact it's had in each of our lives in continuing to do so. So that that devastation doesn't have to continue, that instead we can find victory in Jesus. So let's pray. We're going to invite our Holy Spirit to be the teacher again and, uh, and, and really show us the freedom we have in Jesus. Well, Father, we, we thank you that we get, to, we get to look at your word. We get to study and understand our battle. We get to understand our enemy. And this morning, as we look at this one called the flesh, I pray, Father, in particular, that you would really help us see it, that you would really help and open our eyes to what this, this flesh means and what it's doing and how it's attacking us so that we can then find the victory in you. And so we're going to trust you again to be the teacher, to speak through me, but also, Lord Jesus, to speak to each and every one of us and, and to, to help open up our eyes and our, and our heart and our minds so that we can see this powerful truth. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, in my many years as a counselor, I've, I've had the, the fortune to, to meet believers from all across the, not just the country, but, but the nominational spectrums. And, and so it's been my experience that whether you've been, a, you know, grew up as a Baptist or a charismatic or Pentecostal or as a Presbyterian, a Mennonite, even a Catholic, or really any other denomination you can think of, that really what I've noticed is that there's a consistent misunderstanding when it comes to the battle with the flesh. And because of that misunderstanding, that most believers are confused as a result of that. And that confusion has led to defeat uh, to the flesh more than Satan and the demonic and even more than the world. And, and I think that confusion is therefore by design that the enemy, that's his tactic is to try to be a very covert, very um, not obvious when it comes to, to attacking, because in the midst of that confusion, in the midst of that subterfuge, He's able to slip by past our defenses in his attempt to control us. 
Now, fortunately for you, I'm, I'm a bit of an expert when it comes to the flesh. And, and in part, you know, as a counselor, that's what I'm doing. I am, I am faced with people's flesh each and every time I meet with them. And my job is to help them see how the flesh is, is working in their life and how they can trust Jesus instead. But more than that, I, I have flesh. And I've been experiencing the flesh uh, up close for a long, my whole life, really, and uh, in, in many ways, in many different forms. And, and so I've been wrestling with this and trying to understand the flesh for my whole life. And in fact, one of my, one of my most cherished memories, uh, going back almost 20 years ago now, was uh, a, a night where uh, Greg Ballard, Matt Birch, and another friend of ours named Will and myself, we, we went to Tim Hortons at around 11 o'clock at night. And stayed there till two, three o'clock in the morning, uh, trying to understand Romans seven, trying to understand the flesh and this battle with with the flesh and how it fights, and and not tr- fully trying to understand it, but but trying to, and and getting rather animated and looking up every so often at the <clears throat> at the girl behind the, the counter, kind of giggling and laughing at us at two thirty in the morning, having passionate debates over over what Paul was getting at. But but that's what we we're trying to do. We we're trying to understand how the flesh attacks. And, and so, like I said, for 20 years now, I've been wrestling with that up close and, and I've, I've gained some insights now, uh, most often though in the mirror, but nonetheless. So let's, let's start with trying to understand what the flesh is not, because this is where, again, we're part of that confusion. So it's not Satan, uh, nor is it demonic. And, and that might sound obvious to us because we kind of isolated them as different enemies here. But I say that because I hear Christians talk about, you know, phrases such as, oh, that person, they've got the spirit of Jezebel in them, or, or they have this spirit of lust, or they have this spirit of jealousy, and, and they make it sound demonic that there's this spirit that comes upon them, and, and now they got to cast off that demon to be free of that particular sin. Um, and, and I think that's often the case for people who, who kind of grew up in a charismatic uh, environment. Or, or that's where they got the religious training from. But I don't see that kind of terminology in scripture. And again, this is where we need to allow the scriptures to define our experiences to help us understand what truth is, not our experiences define what truth is. And, and so the, the big difference in that is if it is a demon, you cast out that demon and it's gone. You command it to leave. But with the flesh, as we're going to see, you don't send the flesh away. The flesh is, is here to stay in our, in our bodies, as we're going to see, and, and will be there until you and I are transformed into, you know, in the blink of an eye with a new spiritual body, or, or we leave this world in this earth suit with it. And so we just, we can't just, you know, get rid of the flesh. We have to deal with it each and every moment that it comes up. So, so it's not Satan. It's not a demon. But this one's even more important. It's not the old man nor is it the old self. It's not, it's not the Adamic nature. It's not even part of the, you know, the, the Adamic nature that was left behind after salvation, as I've often heard preachers say. They've kind of referred to it. That's that piece of the Adam nature that's still behind. That's not it. It's not your nature in any way. It's not your sinful nature. And, and that one's really important because, um, because the NIV Bible for about 50 years translated the word flesh as sinful nature. See, the, the Greek word for flesh is sarx, and it literally means flesh, like, you know, skin and bones, muscle and so forth. And, and, and sometimes it's used that way. It's referring to the physical body. But other times Paul's using it, calling it the flesh, and we're going to see more later on, referring to this enemy that we're up against. And, and unfortunately, the translators of the NIV Bible, they decided to interpret this word flesh and interpret it as sinful nature. But Paul didn't use those terms sinful nature. He used this term flesh for, for, for specific reasons, we'll see. But here's the problem with that term, sinful nature, is that now when I think of sinful nature, I think of immorality. I think of lying and cheating and stealing and, and that sort of thing. We think of very obvious, overt sin. But the reality is the flesh could include some things that are very moral. For example, you think about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were very moral people, very upright in how they lived. And yet they were living after the flesh. That's all they had. And Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. Whitewash meaning clean on the outside, but tombs dead on the inside. 
And so there's a very moralistic flesh, very religious flesh, very good looking flesh. In fact, think of some of the unbelievers, you know, who, who are quite frankly, kinder than some believers, you know. And the reason is simply because they have better looking or more moralistic flesh. But so sinful nature, I think, kind of skews us towards uh, one spectrum of that, which is overtly sinful. But the other part is we think of nature and therefore we think it's, it's who we are. And that's misleading as we're going to go and see. Now, fortunately, the, the, the good folks at NIV, you know, the translators, they've, they've dropped the term sinful nature. And now if you buy a, an NIV Bible, a new one, it will use the term flesh. Here's the problem, though. <clears throat> you know, from the moment they published the NIV Bible, over more than 50% of all Bibles sold was the NIV Bible. It was the most popular Bible sold. And every new translation that's come out since, and, and if you've noticed, there have been a lot in the last you know, couple decades, they've all also adopted this sinful nature terminology. And so now you have a bunch of you know, Christians running around going, my Bible says that I have a sinful nature. But that's not what Paul was talking about. He wasn't talking about your nature when he was talking about the flesh. Uh, he was talking about something that was really is our old master, which quite frankly, simply is known as sin. Now, what do we mean by that? Because we need to have an understanding of that. So let's start with understanding our state when we arrived here on planet Earth, right? When you arrived here, you were born the cutest, most adorable little sinner, right? I mean, that's, that's the truth. Arla, I know Cohen's cute. I mean, you, I've seen those pictures. He's adorable, but he's, he's still a sinner because he was born that way, right? He was born that way as a result of, of the fall that took place in the garden. And so look what Paul says about us in Romans chapter six and verse 17. He says, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin. And so when you and I show up as, as a sinner, ultimately what he's saying is you were, you and I were slaves of sin. So I want to focus on that phrase slaves of sin. Now in the, in the passage, Romans five to eight, it's, it's really the heart of the gospel that Paul explained in, in these four chapters. And this word sin is going to appear 41 times in those, in those four chapters. Now, 40 of the 41 times Paul used the word sin, he's using it as a noun. That's significant. What's a noun, right? Noun's a person, place, thing, or an idea. They've added that one since I was in grade school, but that's now the fourth one they've added. Now, normally we think of sin as a verb. What's a verb? Well, a verb's an action word, right? A verb is something you're doing. So when we hear about sin, we think about action, right? We think about things that are, 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 are happening, right? Like lusting or lying or, or cheating or wearing socks and sandals or white after Labor Day, right? We think of sinful things, sinful acts, right? Those are actions. Those are verbs of sin. But 40 of 41 times, Paul's not talking about the action of sin in Romans 5 to 8. He's talking about a noun. Now, sin's not a person. It's, it's not a place. It's more than an idea. So it's something. It's kind of the catch-all. It's something. And, and it's this thing that, that is, is ultimately sin or the flesh. In fact, you might have heard of another term. Uh, indwelling sin is a, is a common term. It, it gets its name from Romans chapter 7 and verse 21, where Paul says he comes to this discovery, I find this principle of evil that is present in me. Or the, the King James would say that evil dwells in me. And that's where they got this idea of indwelling sin, the one who wants to do good. And so his, his nature, he's saying there is, I'm good, but I see this evil presence, this evil that's dwelling in me. And that's sin. We're indwelling sin. And, and I think it's why Paul calls it the flesh, because it's in the flesh. It's in this body here. And, and that doesn't mean our body is evil, but there's evil present in the body. There's evil present in me, uh, you know, in the flesh. And, and so I think that's what he's using. So, so sin as a noun, flesh, are synonymous. In fact, when you kind of compare the struggle he's going through in Romans 7 and say Galatians 5 verse 17, in, in Romans 7, he's talking about sin, but in Galatians 5 17, he's talking about flesh, but you can see that the terms are interchangeable. So it's known just simply as sin or indwelling sin, or it's also known as the law of sin. You'll see that uh, terminology being used. So here's, here's what we need to understand a number of different laws, right? In our world, we have a written code of conduct. Right. Those are our traffic laws. Stop on red, go on green, speed up on yellow. 
right? That one might be wrong based on what the nice police officer told me, but that's, that's another story, right? But we have, we have other laws, though, in our world, right? We call them natural laws, things like the law of gravity or, or the law of entropy, right? The law of entropy says that, that things that always move towards a state of disorder, right? They never go from disorder to order. They always go the other way around, right? So these, these natural laws, or, or better understood as natural forces, we're all subject to those things. Now, what if I don't believe in gravity? What if, what if I, I just deny it? I just ignore it and I say, I don't, I don't feel, I don't see it. And I, I decide to go prove to you that I don't believe in gravity. And I go climb up on the roof here and I jump off the roof. What's going to happen? I'm going to go splat, right? Because gravity doesn't need me to believe in it, right? So I'm going to go splat and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break some things and me and Ethan are going to be, you know, convalescing together. <laughs> Good on you, Ethan. You know, you're a trooper for, for putting up with those injuries, man. I'm, I'm impressed, by the way. But anyway, so sin, sin is a power. It's a force like gravity. And, and that's why Paul calls it a law. It's a, like the, the law of gravity is what's holding us down on our seats right now. And, and again, if I'm ignorant of it or I don't believe in it, sin doesn't care. The flesh doesn't care. It's going to do what it does. It's going to operate on us. Right? So. Now we have to understand why we need to be saved was not just from our sins, our actions, but we need to be saved from sin, the noun. We need to be saved from the master because we were a slave to it. And so you see, the church, I think, has done, has done an excellent job of explaining why Jesus needed to die for our sins. Right? He needed to die for the lusting and the lying and the cheating and putting raisins and cookies instead of chocolate chips. Right, Those are the things that Jesus died for. But, but here at New Life, we've been trying to hammer home this idea that more than that happened on the cross. Something, something happened to you and me on that cross. And, and what was that, Danielle? I heard you. You're right. You died with Jesus on that cross. You and I, we were crucified with him. Right, Because that old sinful self that old man, that, that person, that sinner, that who you were in Adam, when that person you and you arrived here on planet Earth, that was the person that was placed into Jesus on that cross and therefore placed into his death. So Romans 6 and verse 3, Paul says, Or do you not know? Have you not heard? Has, has no one explained it to you? Has no one told you this? And I find it amazing that 2,000 years after Paul wrote these words, it's still true. That majority, the vast majority, 90% or more of Christians don't know that, that not only did Jesus die for their sins, but they were placed into Jesus and therefore placed into his death. And, and the result of that is the sinful you was that, that person that was flawed, that was broken, that was rejected, that was unacceptable, that wasn't good enough, that was too much of a mess. That person was crucified with Jesus. Look what he goes on to say a few verses later in Romans 6 and verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Again, this is a fact of history. Our old self was crucified with him, with Jesus Christ on that cross. It's not a dying process. It's not something you need to do because it's already happened. You, you will never hear one of the pastors here in New Life tell you, you need to die to self. Look at the words. The self has already died. We're not telling you to go do it because it's already happened. It's already been accomplished. And so, so not only does, does you know, pastor, you're going to tell you to do it, but the Bible doesn't tell you to do it. God doesn't tell you to do it because he's telling you it's already happened. So we know this to be a fact. But look what it goes on to say, right? That the old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin would be uh, done away with is, is what the most tra the translation we have actually says, but that's a poor translation of it. A better translation would be rendered powerless. So if you've got your Bible open there, scratch out done away with, if that's what it says and write in rendered powerless, because that's really what's happened here. It's, it's not that this body of sin goes away, but it's lost its power. That's literally what that word is, is, is trying to get at here. And that's really important because it's not that sin died. Again, send the noun here. It's not that sin died. It's not the master that died. The slave died. But looks what goes on to say. 
that, that we were crucified with him so that the body of sin would be rendered powerless so that we would no longer be slaves to sin or no longer be slaves to the flesh. Verse seven, for he who has died is freed from the sin, freed from the flesh. Now, again, a lot of people read that and think, well, I still, I still struggle with sin. I still give in to temptation. <clears throat> this verse isn't saying you can't sin. It's not saying that you're freed from sinning, the, the verb. You're, rather, you're set free from sin than now. You don't have to sin anymore. Let me give you this illustration. Right? So you have a slave and a master. And every, every morning, the slave gets up and he makes, makes the breakfast for the master. And then one night, though, the slave dies in his sleep. So when the master wakes up, there's no breakfast. Well, he's, you know, he's upset about this. And so he goes and he knocks on the slave's door and he says, slave, get up, make me my breakfast. What does the slave do? Well, the slave's dead. He's not doing anything. He doesn't have to listen to that master anymore. That master begins to threaten him, breaks down the door. He starts to slap him and, 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 and yell at him. And what does the slave do? Nothing. Because the moment that slave died, he, he was set free from the master's control. And that's what happened to you and I on that cross. That old self, that broken down person, who you were before you met Jesus, was crucified with Jesus on that cross. And, and they no longer live. The, the slave is gone. And thereby breaking the control that the master has. So the master's lost his power over you and I. But notice, again, it was the slave that died, not the master. So the, the master indwelling sin or the flesh is still very much alive and present and still very much trying to attack me. And that's what Paul's struggle was in Romans 7, right? Look what he's saying. I'm not doing what I want to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate, right? Now look at this, look at what he's saying here. He's, he's making a statement. And, and the statement is that my desires are good. My, des my desires are right. But then he says in verse 17 that it's no longer I, but sin that dwells in me. And then he repeats the same thing, almost word for word in verse 20. So he's making the point. He's making a statement here. And the statement is that sin or the flesh is not me. See, it's no longer me. He's not, he's not denying you know, responsibility. You know, he, he's not saying, you know, Peter, the other day when I, when I tripped you and laughed at you, <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't me. I, I was somewhere else. He, he's not denying responsibility for the sin, right? Because he's saying, I'm not doing what I want to do. So he's acknowledging he did it. But he's saying it's not coming from me. I'm not the source of that. And that's why the flesh is not your sinful nature. It's not your nature. It's not who you are because your nature is good. And, and so what we see here is, is that the, as a believer, your desire is never to sin. You say, well, wait a minute, Ross, that's not, that's not true. You know, when I, when I yelled and screamed at that person who cut me off, I, I wanted to. I, in that moment, I was so angry. I wanted to do it. Well, let me ask you this. Did you feel good about it afterwards? Like, did you go online and boast to everyone about what a jerk you were? Not likely. No, you're probably embarrassed by it or felt bad about it and wish you didn't do it. Well, that's what Paul's saying here in Romans 7, is he not? I'm not doing what I want to do. Sin was not what he wanted to do. He wanted to do righteous things because he's a righteous person. And so that's why it's not your nature. It's not who you are. It doesn't define you. So sin or the flesh is in you. It's in your body, but it's not you. And that's what's so important. It's so critical that we understand that. Let me, let me illustrate it to you this way. What's the last thing every surgeon does right before they stitch up their patient? doesn't matter whether it's, you know, liver or kidneys or heart or whatever. The last thing every surgeon does is they count the number of instruments or the number of bandages and so forth. Why do they do that? Just so they don't leave anything inside, right? Well, I'm thinking they learned that lesson the hard way, right? So imagine I'm the guy they learned that lesson on, right? They take out my appendix and, and in the process, they leave a clamp inside of me by accident. Well, what's going to happen at that site of the clamp inside of me? It's going to cause infection and things are going to begin to swell and it's going to get tender 
and, and it's not going to be good. You, you know, it's very, very sore to the touch and so forth. So I go and I see my surgeon. I say, doc, something's not right here. And he looks at it and goes, yeah, that, that bruising, that soaring, that swelling's not normal. He touches it. I punch him because it hurts so much. He goes, yeah, that's not normal. And he thinks, all right, let's do some x-rays. So I go get an x-ray and I come back and he says, I got good news. I said, doc, what's the good news? Because I fell my clamp. <laughs> okay. Bad news, it's inside of you still. So I got this clamp in me. Now, is the clamp me? No. It's a foreign entity, but it's in me, and it's causing me all kinds of trouble. Well, that's the flesh. The flesh is in us. It's in our bodies, and it came there as a result of Adam's sin. That's what Romans 5.12 says. At the moment Adam sinned, sin, the noun, entered this world. Everything in this world is, has been in, infected by this thing called sin. And it's infected our bodies. It's, it's in our bodies now. And it's causing us all kinds of troubles. But it's not who we are. And that's going to be really important as we go forward. Because what it's wanting to do, waging war, is it's wanting ultimately to control me. It's wanting to use me as an instrument of unrighteousness to its benefit. Now, I use this term infection, right? And we think of a virus, how a virus infects people. But here's the difference between the flesh and a virus. A virus doesn't act intelligently. We said this before, right? That it, a, a virus just comes in, a, in a, and just does what it does. It just comes at you and makes you sick that way. And it, it's not discriminating between people in that sense. It's just doing those things. Whereas intelligence is now strategic. It's choosing when to attack and when not to attack and even how it attacks. And that's how the flesh operates. It's operating strategically based on the situation, based on the needs of the person, even based on their history. And what it's doing is it's waging war with our mind. Look what he says. So in Romans 7, 21, he says, I find this principle of evil that is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Verse 22, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law. So remember, this law here isn't a written code of conduct. It's like these natural laws, or in this case here, spiritual laws or spiritual forces. I see this other force, this other power, this other principle that is in the members of my body, right? So it's, that's why we play sin or the flesh. It's in my, the members of my body, waging war with the law of my mind, attacking my mind, attacking my thoughts in a hope, in a desire to make me a prisoner of this thing called the law of sin which is in my members, which is in my body. It's not who I am. I'm not, I'm not fighting with myself. And that's really important. It's how it wants to play it. But I'm not fighting with myself. I'm fighting with the flesh that's in me, trying to control me, trying to dominate. Me. And it's trying to, to be the answer to the power that I need in this world. And that's what it's wanting to do, knowing that that's, then it can control me. So how's it trying to control a person? Well, let's think of it this way. The, the best way to control another person isn't to lie to them, isn't try to, to uh, you know, just order them around or boss them around. The best way to control another person is to make them think that, that your idea is actually their idea. That's, that's really the secret of all good marketing, by the way, right? If, if John Balfour could somehow convince the world that everyone needs siding, he, he would have an easy job, right? So that's what he's trying to do in marketing. He's trying to convince you that you think you need siding from him. So you come to him and easiest sale in the world that way, right? So that's how sales works. That's how marketing works. Here's an example. Uh, do you remember the movie, The Big Fat Greek Wedding, right? It's about a, a, a woman named Tula and, and she was going to get married. She's Greek and Big Fat Greek Wedding and so forth. Uh, but at the very beginning of the movie, Tula was working at the family's Greek restaurant and, and her aunt owned a travel agency and mom and aunt were chatting one day and I was talking about business and aunt was saying, oh, it's, it's so busy here. If only we had someone like Tula that could help us with the, the, the computers and, and help with the, the tourism side of things. And, and Tula was excited and mom was excited and they go, oh, but wait, Papa will never go for it. Papa will never allow it. Mom says, you leave Papa to me. Next scene, aunt and, and mom sit down across from Papa. He's got the books out on the, in the, on the table and he's 
going through all the books and, and mom and aunt start talking all about, you know, how's the travel agency doing? Oh, we're so busy. Oh, if only, if only we had someone like Tula who could help us. And I could send you my boy and my boy could work here and we could have Tula. If only someone had that idea. Ah, but I don't know what we'll do. And then Papa looks up. I've got this great idea. We'll send you Tula. You send us your boy. Everyone wins. And they look at Papa. Papa, you're so smart. You're so clever. Where do you get this idea from? Ah, yes, I am clever. And so he thought it was his idea. And guess what? They're now going to go and do it, right? That's manipulation. And that's what the flesh is doing. It's trying to control you and I by trying to convince us that that the ideas that we have are really our own ideas. And so what it's doing is it's hiding. It's hiding who we are in Jesus. It's, It's hiding who Jesus is. And it's trying to convince me that I'm someone I'm not. Robin called this the imposter syndrome a couple weeks ago, because that's what the flesh is trying to do. It's trying to create this false persona and, and it's doing that. It's going to use our voice. It's going to, it's going to use our weaknesses. It's going to use our history because it's been there the whole time. You see how the flesh is formed and it's unique in every single person. It's different in me than it is going to be in joy. And it's going to be different than it is in Greg. And it's going to be different than it is in Danielle and different in, in, in Abby. And every one of us is going to have a unique expression of it because it's, it's been watching your whole life, but more than watching, it's been interpreting it for you. You see, when you observe something, you now need to make some, some conclusion. What does this situation say about me often? And the flesh is right there to help you. And by help you, I mean to twist this, that situation into some kind of a, of a lie or, or a false paradigm about you. Now, if, if you're prone to pride, then it's going to twist everything towards that. It's always someone else's fault. You're better than everyone else. Look how much everyone's a screw up and so forth. And so it's going to twist everything towards that, that vantage point. But if you struggle with shame in a, in a negative, deep shame, then it's going to twist everything in a negative way. What a screw up you are, or I am really, is what it's going to be saying. No one loves me. No one wants me. I'm, I'm, see, I'm such, a, I'm such a mess. I'm, I'm no good. And it's going to twist every situation to confirm that. So it's, it's creating the paradigms or the beliefs that we have about ourselves, about God, about other people, about the world around us, about how life works. It's twisting all that into these system of lies in order to control us. Because now that we're believing these lies about it, either in terms of pride, where we become very arrogant or, or very filled with shame, where we become very self-critical, now it offers us a solution how to live. And, and basically what happens is initially is it tries a little path, just a, a, you know, it's like trying to go from A to B and there's lots of different ways to do it. And you, you find a route that seems to work. And then because it seems to work, we go back to that route and we take the same route all, all, all the time. So for me, you know, for example, when I come to work, I take the same route to work all the time. And when I go home, I take the same route home all the time because I know it works. It's comfortable. Well, the flesh has developed certain patterns that are comfortable for you and I. And that pattern might be critical. It might be judgmental of other people. It might be to reject other people and so forth. And and because we use these pathways so often, now they're not little simple paths. Now they become multi-lane highway where we have easy access to them. And they're almost, they're, they're just the immediate reaction that we have to them. And so really the flesh now, so it's created the paradigm in which we see ourselves in the world around us and God, but also then offers to us the solution to the twist that we're, we're seeing this world through. And so really now it's going to offer to us um, a, a way to earn love, a, a way to perform, right? So maybe it's, it's I just got to work harder or, or I got to work better, or I got to be more successful, or I got to get promoted, or, or maybe I just need to volunteer for more ministry. And then people will love me, right? So for me, the temptation, I just got to be a better pastor. I got to work harder, put in more hours and, and, and pray harder and serve better. And then, then people will love me. And so that's one option. Then the other option that it'll be trying to do is 
So how do I protect myself? Right? So if I'm trying to earn love over here, now I got to protect myself so I don't lose what little love I have. And, and so maybe it could be putting up walls, right? So people, people can't get too close to hurt me or, or withdrawing away and, and pulling away. So, so I, I'm not around them. So they can't, can't hurt. me. Or when I have a task at hand, I procrastinate because as long as I haven't done it yet, I haven't failed yet. So there's still time to be a success. Or, or I keep other people at a distance, or I reject them before they have a chance to reject me, right? And, and so it's all about protecting myself so I don't get more hurt. Um, or the third option then is, is now I got to comfort or numb myself. So I'm trying to earn love, I'm trying to protect the love I have, or now I have to deal with the pain that I've got. And I, I numb that pain through drugs or alcohol or through food. Uh, or, or entertainment to provide comfort, or, or maybe sin like pornography, or, or it could be sex or illicit relationships, all kinds of different things, all in a, a way to just distract, numb, check out from my pain. And all of that's coming from the flesh. And, and again, what we've done is, is we've taken ownership of it. We've made that our own nature. Now, we have to own the fact that we were believing it. And we have to own the fact that we're choosing it. But we don't have to own the fact that we're the source of it. See, the, what you believe and, and what you do doesn't ultimately define who you are. What you believe and what you do is, is connected in that sense. And if you're believing those lies, you will act out of those lies. But that's not who you are. Who you are was defined in the cross. And the old you was crucified and buried so you could be made as a brand new person. And that new person is, is good. That new person is righteous. That new person is clean. That's the new you. But the old master's still around and the old master's trying to control us. He's still trying to manipulate us. Again, trying to act like you. Using personal pronouns and, and pretending to be you. And, and pretending that um, uh, really just again, pretending that, that it, it is you ultimately is what it's trying, I'm trying to say here, just repeating myself now. And, and so in, in doing that, it's going to use personal pronouns. It's going to use the words that you would use, speaking the accent that you would use, uh, it, again, knowing what you're susceptible to, it's going to try to lead you down that path. So for me, you know, I, I don't, I'm, I'm blessed. I don't struggle with drugs and alcohol. I, uh, partly because I'm just too cheap. It's just too expensive. So I don't struggle with that. But, you know, things like, you know, Netflix or, or chips that I do struggle with. And, and so the idea when it comes time to just feel numb, it's not going to say go get rip roaring drunk. That's just too expensive. But go have a bag of potato chips and, and watch YouTube videos or Netflix videos for, for an afternoon. That sounds appealing to me. And I'm more likely to go that way. So again, knowing all about my story, my history, and it's going to present that not as you should do this, but I should do this, right? Those personal pronouns. Here's the other thing about, about the flesh is it needs the law. It operates with the law. So look what Paul says to Romans chapter seven, verse five. He says, for while we are in the flesh, so while we were unbelievers, while we were slaves to the flesh, to sin, the sinful passions were aroused by the law. Did you see that? That, that the law arouses or stirs up sin. It actually makes it increase. Now, now that's really important because think about it. For what has the church been pointing to to try to help people combat sin? It's the law. Whether it's about your struggle with drinking or, or drugs or pornography or maybe it's diet issues with food, and the answer becomes the law. Don't do this. Don't do that. Do this instead. Avoid this. Avoid that. And we, we make the answer is going to be the law. But you see, the flesh wants that law. It wants a standard. It wants a goal because now it can put you under that. So what does it do? It starts saying, saying things such as, I'm such a disappointment. I'm such a failure. Do you hear the standard that's in there now? There's, there's now? there's now a law. There's something you need to measure up to. And I think you're right. I, I, am, a, I am a failure. I'm failing as a dad. 
I'm, I'm blowing it as a husband or as, as a wife or as a mom or as a, as a friend. And I, I, I should do better. I need to, I need to work harder. at it. I, I need to start to, to, to call people more and I need to start to sit down and listen more. And I, I need to have more patience. And now what's happened is my eyes have gotten off of Jesus and I'm now listening to the flesh. Because see, in that moment, it's all about me. Notice it was, I need to be more patient. I need to be kinder. It's not Jesus in me needs to be. It's all about me. The emphasis, the focus is on me. And so now I'm running on my own strength. I'm running on my own power. And and the problem is my own power may work for a time, but eventually that power runs dry. Eventually that power runs out and I just completely fall apart and collapse. But that's not when sin begins to happen. It was happening the whole time I was doing it on my own strength. And so you see, sin is using the law. Verse 8, Romans 7, But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me covenant of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. The flesh is dead apart from the law. But the moment that law comes, it now amplifies the sin, makes it worse. Because now it's, I'm just so focused on that sin. For example, don't eat the cookie. 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 What are you thinking about? Eating a whole bag of cookies, right? It's not, it just, you become so obsessed now with that, that very thing that you're trying to not do. And it makes it worse. You see, in Paul's case here, he was using one of the 10 commandments. Number 10, thou shalt not covet. And he was probably thinking that, you know, if I don't covet, that, that's going to you know, take off so many sins off the table. Because if you don't covet, then chances are you won't murder and you won't steal <clears throat> and you won't commit adultery and you won't lust and so forth. <clears throat> and so I just, I just needed to avoid coveting. But he goes on to say, I had every kind of covetous desire. Instead of the law, you know, taking covenant away or, or, or suppressing the covenant, it made it worse. <clears throat> it made it bigger. And that's how the flesh operates. <clears throat> Look what he says in verse nine. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And he's talking about after salvation here, right? Because he was alive at salvation. That's what made him alive. And there was a time where it's all about Jesus. Think about those new believers. They don't care about the rules and the laws and the do's and don'ts. They just want to love Jesus and follow Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And that's what Paul was. And then he started thinking, you know, I could be a better Christian. I just don't covet. I could be a better Christian if I just work harder in this area. I could be a better Christian if I just stop this sin. But instead of stopping the sin, it made it worse because sin now, the flesh came alive under this law. In verse 10, this commandment, which was to result in life, so I thought, proved to result in death in me. See, that's the deception. That's how the flesh is operating under this deception that this standard, this formula, this rule, this command will actually be good for you. Just, just follow this diet, follow this rule, follow this pattern. You know, these seven steps to being a good dad, these five things to be a good mom, these, these eight things to be a good successful business leader. All of these things are being thrown to us week after week, not just by the world, sadly, but by, by the church as well giving us these laws, giving us these standards to judge ourselves at. How much have you read your Bible? How much are you giving? How much are you serving? How much are you praying? And all these things. And and the the lie, the deception is that's going to be life to me. That if I do all these things, I'll be a better Christian. I'll be happy. But I'm not. Because sin comes alive. And I end up failing. And I'm not doing what I want to do. And I feel more guilt and more shame which now I have to numb that shame. So I turn to other sins, which leads to more guilt and more shame. And I experience death. That's the death that Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about death and that God's going to strike you down in judgment. He's just talking about a miserable experience an emptiness that this life holds. And so we begin to express now being controlled by the flesh. We express the deeds of the flesh. So you, you know, Romans 5, 19 to 21 talks about that, right? The, the, uh, sorcery and the outbursts of anger and the envy and the jealousy and the, and, and the, 
uh, frustrations and so forth, all of that comes out because I'm trusting in the flesh, trusting in sin to find love, to protect myself, or to comfort me in my pain. But it doesn't work. And, and not only that, not only am I, my, you know, expressing the deeds of the flesh, and notice it's the deeds of the flesh, deeds of sin, or in Romans 6, I'm an instrument of sin. Not only do I get hurt, but, but those around me. See, when I, when I get stuck in this rut of listening to the flesh, yes, I'm experiencing death, but my family pays the biggest price. I'm short with my kids and I snap at my kids. I'm, I'm disengaged with, with them and, my, and, and with joy. And I'm not there. I'm not available now. I'm, I'm present. I'm in the room, but I'm still absent. And I'm no good to them in that moment. And so we need to have an answer. We need to have an answer to, to what the flesh is trying to, to attempt to control. Like we said earlier, the demonic is all about commanding and using the authority that God's given to us. And we command that demonic force, be it Satan or, or one of his demons, to leave and to never come back. But we can't do that with the flesh because it's in our bodies and will remain in our bodies until we get a new spiritual body or we exit this earth suit and go to be with Jesus. The world's all but influencing, right? And it's just, it's just more of this, this passive influence towards us trying to shape our thinking and, and direct us and distract us, uh, direct us away or distract us from Jesus. But again, it's, it's a passive outside thing. The flesh is happening within us. The flesh is attacking and waging war with our mind. And so it's going to require you and I to be more active in our rejection of that. And, and I, the, I think the passage that best summarizes it is in Romans 6, 11, 13. So in verse 11, Paul says here, it says, my translation says, consider. That's a really weak word, right? I mean, like consider having a, you know, a salad for lunch. I won't say any names, but, but consider having a salad for lunch or, or consider having hamburgers or, or steak or consider going to Rizal's for, you know, for lunch, right? Or dinner, right? So consider that. It's think about it. Do it, do it or don't. But, you know, it's, it's up to you. What a weak word that is. The King James used the word reckon. And I like that term reckon. It, it, it's a, it means to recognize or, or add it up. It's, it's, it's a statement of fact here. So we need to count it as a fact or recognize that you, the, the old you, is gone. That you've died to sin. Not died to sinning, right? That would be the verb. You can still sin. I, you don't have to explain that to me. I, I know that in my own life, and I'm, I'm a, I know that's true about you as well. But you've died to the, this thing that used to control you. Sin's no longer your master. It's no longer your, your owner anymore. You've died to sin but you're very much alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so that, that sinner who's dead and gone, the slave is dead and gone. You are resurrected as a new person, no longer as a slave to sin, but now a slave to righteousness, a bond slave of Jesus, alive, connected to God through, through the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you would obey its Desire, it's lust. Now notice, where are the desires coming from? They're not coming from you and me. It's coming from sins, coming from the flesh, which is in me, in my body, but it, praise God, it's not me. And, and when I discovered that, now I knew I could say no to it. See, as long as I thought it was me, how do you say no to yourself? You can't, you're going to do it. But you see, I don't need to say no to myself anymore. I can say yes to Jesus in the new self because he's putting the desires in my heart that are his desire. Again, look what Paul's saying in Romans 7. I'm not doing what I don't want to do. What does he want to do? He wants to live right. He wants to live righteous. He wants to live upright. And that's true of you and me. We want to do right. It's why we, we, we're not proud of our sin. We're embarrassed by it. We're, we're, we're wishing it never happened. But now as new people, as righteous people, we can live differently because we're alive to God. We're connected to him. So don't let sin rule anymore. Don't let it control you anymore. Verse 13, it goes on and says, don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness because that's what happened. 
When I listen to the flesh, when I listen to sin, it now controls me, manipulates me, and it, it, I'm now spreading unrighteousness to those around me. Instead, this is what I can do. But present yourself to God as, as alive from the dead, right? The, this, as these new person, this new creation, here I am, God. You've made me into someone new and, and you're living in me right now. And so here I am, here's my body. Use me as an instrument of good, as an instrument of righteousness to those in this world around me. And so now God can use us to be a blessing to these people, to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, to, our strange, to the strangers that we meet on the, on the street, to everyone around us. And so we're turning to him, we're trusting in him, we're listening to him, we're talking with him and allowing Jesus now to live through us. It's not me trying to live like God. It's letting God live through me. There's a world of difference in that. And, and we're going to explain that the next time we're in this passage. But, but for now, I want us to see this, this, this secret here, Romans 6, 11, 13. Recognize you're dead to sin, but alive to God. Don't let sin reign. Don't be an instrument of unrighteousness being used by sin, but present yourself to God as a new creation, righteous and holy, beloved and perfect and pure. And let God use you to be an instrument of good in this world. Because that's what we need. That's what the church can be. That's what new life can be. That's what you can be. Let's pray. Praise Jesus for what you've done. Thank you, Jesus, for, for the freedom that you've given to us. That we have been set free from the flesh. Because, because not only did you die for our sins, but we died with you. And thereby breaking the dominion, the control that we're no longer a slave of this old master. Because we've died, we've been freed from its control. But it's still around and it's still attacking every day. Trying to convince us, trying to, to spin a lie, to, to create a narrative of, of who we are in this world. And Lord Jesus, would you help shine a light, shine your truth on that. And we would reject sin's, sin's lies. We would reject what it says about us. We'd reject what it says about you. And we would reject its answer to our struggle. And instead, Lord Jesus, would we embrace the truth of who we are, of who we are in you and who you are in us. And that we would recognize the strength and the power that we have in you now. That the power we have to face this world, to be an instrument of good, to be used by you, so that the world would see Jesus in us. Thank you for the opportunity. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.